If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with an acute obsession of true crime, caught discussing tragic events with unwilling participants, or kept awake at night by the paranormal or just plain absurd, you've found the right place. All others, beware of catching this dangerous bug as we begin to talk about the facts. And welcome back. Today is another day for you to listen in to our delightful show, Let's Talk About the Facts. And we are sad to say that this is the last episode in Native American Heritage Month. But that does not mean we'll never do another Native American Heritage story. Just one in November. Because tomorrow's the 30th. Or, well, technically, if you're listening on the day that it drops, today's the 30th. But I have to admit, this was a delightful month to share stories that quite a few of my friends were not privy to, they didn't know the details of, or they had like very, very distinct misconceptions of. So it's been a real treat, honestly, to share these stories, to bring them out, dust them off, put them on the shelf for everyone to see and to listen to whenever. So next month, will be our final theme month because I am tired of themes, but the one I've been waiting for forever, Christmas Crimes. So buckle up for that one. I love Christmas Crimes. But you'll have to hold on to your tater tots for that one's friends because with me today is a good friend of mine, Nick. Hello, how's it going? It's going. How's it going for you? Very good. Very good. I am trying to stay warm in, you know, the frigid LA temperatures. <laughs> I think it's down to like 60 out there. Oh man, it's so cold. I know people don't realize that we're not used to how cold it gets, but also this is a desert cold. Like it's a different kind of like goes through your body cold. Yeah. It's a, it's a deeply felt just like, absence of heat through and through it's 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 worse than any cold from new york oh yeah like i grew up in the south and like 60 was t-shirt weather it was thrilling yeah 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 oh yeah and i recently went back and i was like 60s t-shirt weather and then i come here well home essentially and i'm like 60 is the pit of hell yeah that's where they reserve all of the worst people because it's like hot but freezing. You know how they have those villains who are like, they take all the heat out of the room, AKA what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. That's that kind of cold. Yeah. It's that kind of cold. But tell us about yourself, Nick. Yeah. I am a screenwriter here in Los Angeles who um, is currently working as script coordinator um, and just making my way through this crazy town, trying to tell stories, trying to make them uh, much more diverse um, in all senses of that word. So I'm actually really happy to to be here to learn about um, a culture that I don't think we we learn about often enough, um, a people that we, we just don't get taught about. Um, so thanks for having me. and, and I'm excited to, to learn something. 
Absolutely. And I am delighted to have you because I know that you're such an excellent voice of representation and I'm just so excited. But unfortunately (laughs) for you, you don't get to tell the story this time. I do. Yeah, I know. I'm going to shut up and listen like a good ally. I mean, I do want your comments. Speaking of, I have to tell you about these two DMs. So everybody who might follow my personal Twitter knows that I get a ridiculous amount of like DMs from people I don't know. And I do have one friend who's like, turn off your public DMs. And I'm like, nah, but like, what if, you know, you never know. <laughs> that one never time. Know. And sometimes I've gotten some gold. They're ridiculous. But, okay. So one DM was from a follower And I actually felt like it was going to end up relevant to this episode. So I had a follower this week ask me personally how I felt about the Chappelle show being removed from Netflix. And I have no dog in that horse race, like, whatsoever. But, you know, I figured I'd do some digging into it. And basically what happened is Dave Chappelle asked Netflix to take the show off the streaming platform, and they did. That's that's it, in a nutshell. And I, did you know about this, Nick? I, I had heard about it, but um, aside from what you just laid out, that he asked them to remove it, and they did, I don't know, like, why he asked them. I don't know why they were so, you know, easily uh, willing Amenable. to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, Dave Chappelle has a number of sh- uh, shows on Netflix. And aside from any sociopolitical issue, I want to say that regardless of where he stands on any issue, I'm going to put this out here. I understood why he asked them to do it. So I wanted to bring this up on this episode because this was a very old game with a new title. And so Dave Chappelle, if you didn't know, suffered intensely from bad contracts. And the one thing he has control of is himself. And like back to the day of live entertainers before the days of recording things um, where we could just watch or listen on repeat. When a live entertainer was finished entertaining, they could quit. And they did not have to continuously see themselves exploited for the continual gain of others. And perhaps not themselves. Like, and so it's common that Dave Chappelle, or it's common knowledge that Dave Chappelle had a breakdown um, and quit the Chappelle show. And he honestly just took a break. And I think that Netflix following through with just his request to take down the show is kind of a step in the right direction that an entertainer has the right to say, I was not paid for my work the way it should have been. And I do not want this to be played until that's rectified and made right. Because the comments that he made was, or were that he wasn't compensated for his work correctly, that he signed bad contracts and things were never kind of made right. And now like his show was on all these streaming platforms and he's like, wait a minute, you know? And yeah, that, that's like good on him. I mean, that, that's a, for, for someone as big as him to 
stand up and, and make that argument is really important for the little guys too. Right. And I do feel that that point is so important, not just for actors and entertainers, but well, writers and directors are also entertainers in a way. And people who work in this industry, they should not just be something that are churned out for profit. And so I not only agree with the stance, but I support it. And I would support anybody else who was put in that position. And so I'll discuss the relevance to that story and why I wanted to bring that specific DM up later. I just thought it was weird. Why was I being asked? I don't know <laughs> yes. Dave Chappelle. I, I guess I'd like to. I don't have a reason to hate him. Like he's, he's definitely got got his opinions, but um, yeah, I, I don't. Know I laugh him well at his enough, jokes. Yeah, I've known worse comedians. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> but I actually just like you know I admire the stance that he was like, "Hey Netflix, please take down that show," and then they did. So that was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But okay, so the second one was really really funny to me. So I get a lot of inappropriate dams, a lot of them. A lot of them from misinformed individuals who, like, I don't know why. Like, I'd never respond, but it's not even on the podcast account. But, like, wow, do they know these episodes. They have listened to the whole thing. And they don't realize that they don't have to listen. Like, it's a choice. But (laughs) anyway, so I got this DM. And it said, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to read it to you the way that it's written. It's really funny. I don't understand why you still do dumb podcast. It's not like anybody cares what you have to say and you fuck up a lot. You're just a stupid bitch trying to make America look bad and you don't know, or you don't even know history. Well, sir, you got one thing right. I am a stupid bitch. <laughs> that is 100%. America already looked bad. And let me tell you, I'm just making yeah, it, it like, you know, a parent. any help. I'm just using a flashlight. But <laughs> just delightful. I wish I could get that cross-stitched. Like, <laughs> oh my God, like on a pillow or something? Just get that whole yeah. thing. I was like, you don't even know history. (laughs) (laughs) You're just a stupid bitch trying to make America look bad. (laughs) Can I put that as, like, part of my resume or something? (laughs) You can put that as, like, your your Twitter profile. (laughs) I'll put it on the podcast profile. (laughs) Just trying to make America look bad. Not really, just... That DM sounds suspiciously like it came from a certain president. <laughs> What's he doing listening to this podcast? Oh, man, how many times have I made fun of him? Okay, so now that I've told you about my hilarious DMs. So Thanksgiving is past, and Native American Heritage Day is past, which I hate the fact that it's on, quote-unquote, Black Friday. Why are we still doing Black Friday? Like, I... Why do we call it Black Friday? Why is that still a thing? I think I think it should just be done and over with. Like, why can't things just be that price forever? Oh, honestly, and and especially like this year when it 
like nobody's really going out to shop. I mean, I'm not. Oh no, going they did. Shop. And it's like, why not just call it like Cyber Friday or something, or or put all the deals to Monday, like you're going to do anyway, or like all these sales have been going on for a week in the first place. It's just it capitalism so weird. No, people really did go out on Friday. Uh, yeah, I did see some lines outside the Best Buy, and I was very saddened. I just, I t- I'm so, like, mm, okay, I can't get into that right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of emotions, and they're doing somersaults in my head. Oh. Anyway, but this is our promise bonus episode, a.k.a. the episode that I forewent gone because of the the election and um yeah so i decided to do a huge event that i felt quite a few people did not truly understand because it is quite literally glossed over in history class because you know those pages are glossed over mm-hmm. you know if you fell asleep on them and they stick to your face um <laughs> happened to me all the time i had the perfect place to sleep on a science book. So was it halfway through the book where it was even? It was like on page two sixty four or something like that. I was like perfect. I don't know why. But there were (laughs) there were probably a few lame jokes. The same that have been told since like the nineteen fifties. And that's it. But we're gonna close our eyes unless you're driving a motorized vehicle or handling heavy (laughs) machinery or walking. And we're going to take a deep breath together. And then we're going to get into the right mood because this episode is The Trail of Tears. So, Nick, what do you know about The Trail of Tears? Um, What do I know about The Trail of Tears? I don't know much because you are... 100% 100% spot on in that it, as far as I remember, was really glossed over um, in school. I, I, you know, I don't even remember what tribes or people it affected. I, I have this vague notion that it was um, pretty literal uh, trail of, of some kind of, of these people being pushed out and pushed west is is what I have in my head of just like constantly mm-hmm. pushing these people west as um, the the colonizers really you know oh, yeah. expanded Literally. west as well um, and and I know I'm, I'm sure it was um, as horrific as it sounds but I I mean really as far as specifics I I don't know. I don't think I was ever actually taught. Yeah, and that's completely fair. I grew up in a state that actually has markers for the Trail of Tears. And oh, really? I live, my parents' house is actually, like, very close to the markers. It's, it's insane. And it's just a slight blip in a high school history textbook. Like, a blip. And some know yeah. to associate it with the Cherokee Nation, but there's other tribes. And I would bet heavily that the general American populace 
aren't aware of the key players that led to this absolutely heinous crime in United States history. If genocide was a term at the time, I think that the dislocation of our own, like, Americans from their land and the amount of death that would happen because of it would absolutely qualify this one event as genocide. And that's not the first time that we did this. So, hmm. But we're not, like, we're not done after this, too, just so you know. And yes, I said we. Because, again, if you were an American, whether or not you were born into this country or came to live here by choice, you shoulder the history that it comes with. So you're responsible for knowing it. So, I mentioned the term genocide, and I think people do use it flippantly, and I wanted to give a brief context to the word genocide, as we usually do a context, um, because I think understanding where it came from, what the choices were in defining it as per the the UN, the United Nations, um, you, is it United Nations? United Nations, more than one. Um, <laughs> I think that it would benefit this story. So, genocide is understood by most to be the gravest crime against humanity as it is possible, or it is possible to commit. So, like, it's the worst thing you could possibly do. So many people would say that their first thought of genocide would be something like the 1994 Rwandan genocide of ethnic Tutsi and moderate Hutus, which ended with somewhere between 500,000 and 600,000 deaths during the Rwandan Civil War. Others might recall Darfur and Sudan. Whatever comes to mind, there's still one definition. It is the mass extermination of a whole group of people and attempt to wipe them out of existence. But at the heart of this simple idea is a complicated tangle of legal definitions. So what is genocide and when can that term be applied? So this is part of the United Nations definition and the origin of the word. So the term was coined in 1943 by the Jewish Polish uh, lawyer Raphael Lemkin, who combined the Greek word genos, which is race or tribe, with the lat word, Latin word side to kill. So you know of patricide and matricide and filicide, the different types of murder, etc. So genocide is to murder the whole tribe, if you will. So Dr. Lemkin, after witnessing the horrors of the Holocaust, in which every member of his family, except his brother, was killed. Dr. Lumpkin campaigned to have genocide recognized as a crime under international law. His efforts gave way to the adoption of the UN Convention on Genocide in December of 1948, which came into effect in January of 1951. So Article 2 of the Convention defines genocide as any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group as such, killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, 
deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent birth within that group, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. The convention also imposes a general duty on states that are signatories to prevent and punish genocide. Since its, adop uh, since its adoption, the UN Treaty has come under fire from different sides, mostly by people frustrated with the difficulty of applying it to specific cases. Some analysts contend with the definition that the definition is so narrow that none of the mass killings perpetrated since the treaty's ad adoption would fall under it. So the objections mo most frequently raised against that treaty would include, it excludes um, targeted political and social groups. It's limited to direct attacks against people and excludes acts against the environment which sustains them or their cultural distinctiveness. Um, proving intention beyond a reasonable doubt is extremely difficult. The UN member states are hesitant to single out other members or intervene, as was the case in Rwanda. There is no body of international law to clarify the parameters of the convention, though this is changing as UN war crime tribunals issue indictments. And the difficulty of defining or measuring in part and establishing how many deaths equal a genocide. But in spite of these criticisms, there are many who say genocide is recognizable. So in his book, Rwanda and Genocide in the 20th Century, former Secretary General of Medicine Sans Frontieres, uh, Alain Desche, says, Genocide is distinguishable from all other crimes by the motivation behind it. Genocide is a crime on a different scale to all other crimes against humanity and implies an intention to completely exterminate the chosen group. Genocide is therefore the gravest and greatest crime against humanity. With this in mind, we'll, t we'll just move right into our story, The Trail of Tears. No, that's a lot to listen to about, you know, mass killings. So, yeah, I mean, that's, it's mass murder. Mm-hmm. And if murder is, you know, one of the worst, that like how, it's interesting that they didn't have this word, this this concept until you said what, 1943? 43? Mm-hmm. That's insane. And we've definitely been doing it for longer than that. Um, yeah. So, buckle up, because this is about to get early. So, we're going to be in 1830, because we're going to start at the beginning of the 1830s. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, we've been a nation for a minute. A long minute. But we're coming out of the War of 1812. If you do some math, that's about 18 years. The Revolutionary War is still within living memory. And at the beginning of the 1830s, somewhere between 100 to 125,000 Native Americans 
lived on millions of acres of land in Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, North Carolina, and Florida, the land of their ancestors, and it was rightfully theirs, as was all of the land on this motherfucking continent. Okay. However, towards the end of the 1860s, very few would remain anywhere in the Southeast U.S. On behalf of the white settlers looking to grow cotton on stolen land, the federal government devised a plan so sneaky, it wasn't sneaky at all, to force the Native Americans from their own homelands and walk up to 5,045 miles. That's the longest the Trail of Tears could be. To a designated area, and it would be known as Indian Territory or Indian Country. And it was across the Mississippi River to the west. At least 15,000 Native Americans did not make it across the journey. This often deadly and difficult journey is famously known as the Trail of Tears. So you're going to ask yourself, how did this happen? And why would, quote, reasonable, end quote, people allow it? You think to yourself a lot, well, if I was back in those times, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just do that, you know? I wouldn't let that happen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you would. We got some questions. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But there were definitely a lot of dissenters. But at the same time, reasonable, quote-unquote, people allowed it to happen. There was only so much a person could do. But we're going to jump right into the issues. So first, we're going to start with the Proclamation of 1763. That is a British thing, because, you know, it's just before. Which was issued by the British at the end of the French and Indian War. And that's a very confusing title for a war, considering the French and Native Americans were allied together. But that proclamation was kind of meant to appease Native American tribes by checking the encroachment of European settlers on native lands and created a boundary known as the Proclamation Line and separating the British colonies on the Atlantic coast from Native American lands west of the Appalachian Mountains. And if anyone writes into me and says it's Appalachian, no. Go to Appalachia. And if you say that, they will throw an Appalachia. Oh my god, okay. I was about to, I, I totally said that in my head. I was like, isn't it Appalachian? No, it's Appalachian. Okay. I mean, good to know. the way they say it. Look, there is an El Dorado, Arkansas. Is it El Dorado? Yes, but it's not my fault that they say El Dorado. Oh, no, no, no. We will, we will argue about um, Los Feliz later on. Oh, I've already made the argument. It's episode four. <laughs> of course you did. I did the Los Feliz murder house. (laughs) Um, But in the century since the proclamation, it has become one of the cornerstones of Native American law in the United States and Canada. 
So, although that region was to be protected for the exclusive use of the indigenous peoples, and I am, like, including Canadian indigenous peoples as well, um, large numbers of Euro-American land speculators, I don't think that's the right word, I think I typed, maybe it's surveyors, I don't know, I made up a word. And it's your podcast, you do what you want. Thank you. I will fuck up as much as I want, <laughs> Mr. DMer. I'll be my stupid bitch self. <laughs> Euro-American land speculators and settlers soon entered, as they're wont to do. And for the most part, the British and later U.S. governments ignored these acts of trespass, as U.S. governments are wont to do. I said it. You know? <laughs> they, yeah. Mm-hmm. Look how shocked I am. Negative four on the shock scale. So the reality was, white Americans, particularly those who saw, who lived in the western frontier, um, often, quote, feared and, quote, resented the Native Americans. Maybe it's because you're stealing their shit. You Wait, the white in. people? The white people. Hated the Native? Americans, yes. They feared and resented them. I mean, I feel like it should be the other way around, but go off. Well, I mean, the Native Americans were attacking them. But, I mean, that's what happens when you settle on someone else's land. Yeah, if yeah, they, absolutely. Where's eminent domain? Why couldn't they just shoot them? <laughs> like, Native Americans see, like, white people, white settlers just, like, you know, creeping in on their land. And they're like, where's my gun? Honestly. But the white people saw Native Americans as... Like these human beings as unfamiliar alien people who occupied land that white people wanted and felt like they deserve. I so, cannot tell you. I wanted to barf. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it, it centers it centers the, the wrong people there. Like they, I, I mean, obviously it's it's from their perspective centering themselves. But it's like a uh, white folk. You didn't. You weren't here for so long. Like, how do you just come in and say, yeah, this is mine now? I know. It's like, if I rolled up into Beverly Hills and was like, ooh, love this house. It's mine. I deserve it. Shot. You would be shot. I feel like I would be laughed out of Los Angeles. Before or after being shot? I mean, I, I don't know. I could survive <laughs> a couple bullets, I think. I can't. I, can, I cannot. <laughs> um, but like so have you heard of the concept of manifest destiny yes so it's taught as a positive but we're going to break it down because why not we're already here so manifest destiny was a widely held cultural belief in the 19th century United States that American settlers were destined to expand across North America. There's three basic themes, all right? Buckle in, they're horrible. The special virtues of the American people and their institutions. 
the mission of the United States to redeem and remake the West in the image of the agrarian East and an irresistible destiny to accomplish this essential duty. AKA steal shit, say no sorries. <laughs> so Take historian, what they want. I know. I was gonna say steal bitches, get stitches, but that didn't make any sense. I don't think they got the stitches. I mean, if they had, maybe they would have stopped. I mean, I love a good cowboy movie, but at the same time, they're so historically inaccurate. Yeah, because the white guys are the good guys. They didn't do shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, we're like honestly, Brokeback Mountain is probably the most accurate. But, okay, so historian Frederick Merck says this concept was born out of a sense of mission to redeem the old world by high example, generated by the potentialities of a new earth for building a new heaven. However, in contemporary culture, many have condemned Manifest Destiny as an ideology that was just used to justify genocide against Native Americans. Hot take, because, you know, Frederick Merck, by the way, was a Harvard professor from 1924 to 1956. So, what I'm saying isn't a new idea. It's just getting louder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thrilling. He's like, oh my god, I learned this new word. Let me tell you where else I can apply it. Am I <laughs> Probably had like, it you know, on his like, shirt. Yeah, he was like, oh my god, this is a genocide, and this, let me talk about the Christian Crusades, genocide. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Anyway, so in the early years of America, people like G.W. himself, Georgie Wash, held the belief, (laughs) you can't pull that, I'll laugh at myself. Georgie Wash held the belief that the best way to solve this issue was to, quote, civilize, end quote, the Native Americans and essentially assimilate. The goal of that campaign was to encourage conversion to Christianity, which we all know what that means, quote, encourage by force. I mean, that's still applicable today. But also, to eradicate native languages by teaching English as a primary language and only speaking English forever. Native American... I would... Would would that fit the definition of genocide? Of of assimilating an entire culture into your own if you're getting rid of... Like, does genocide have to be about um, the murder of it all? Or does it also... That was one of the... the, um, that was one of the things that they said it didn't encompass. Like, yeah, the definition is limited to direct acts against people and excludes acts against the environment, which sustains them or their cultural distinctiveness. Yeah, I think I I, I would argue. But yeah, that totally. It, if you if they don't exist with their with their culture anymore, then they don't exist. Hmm. 100% agree with you. There's so much history that's lost because of this. 
Um, where was I? Sorry. Assimilating Georgie Wash. Yeah, I know. I was looking for the paper. Oh, there we are. <laughs> That's what happens when you set papers down and don't give a crap where. <laughs> um, so they were also required to adopt Euro-style economic practices such as individual ownership of land and other property. Do you see where I'm going with this? Because you might. Like, if they have to own their land and property, which many tribes did not do that kind of practice. Yep. Ooh, wee. So, in the southeast, many Choctaw, Chickasaw, Seminole, Creek, and Cherokee people embraced these customs. I wrote costumes, and actually I feel like that's a more relevant word. Yeah, it was um, definitely. They were just putting on costumes at that point. Yeah. But they became known as the five civilized tribes. But their land, located in parts of Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, Florida, and Tennessee, guess what? Dollar signs. Oh no. And so it grew to be so coveted by white settlers that they just flooded the region. Many of these white settlers yearned to make their fortunes by growing cotton. They didn't care how civilized their native neighbors were. These white people wanted that land and they would do almost anything to get it, including the following. Stealing livestock, burning and looting houses and towns, committing mass murder, and squatting on land that did not belong to them. Huh! Okay, so what you're so telling me is that no matter whether the the Native Americans were, um, you know, assimilating into, into their culture. It didn't really matter. It was just about the white people wanting to take what was not there. It didn't matter what they did. They were going to get messed up anyway. And I think this is why that Dave Chappelle DM was like resonated with this episode because it was like, you do all the right things and you still get fucked. Yeah. Quote unquote right, because there is no right way. It's like the path of least get fuckness. <laughs> Can that be the episode title? I wish. I actually titled them properly, but I'll put it in the about. I like that. I like that. No, you think of my other podcast. Yes, everyone, I, I have another podcast. <laughs> Go listen to it. Go listen to it. I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> White notes. <laughs> okay, let's talk about how the government inv got involved, all right? State governments joined in this effort to drive Native Americans out of the South. You know, the opposite of what should be happening. Yeah. They're land snatching. They're snatching land. Oh, oh, no, no, no. You know. Oh, yeah. We don't want to snatch Sep things. Oh, no. They're, like, snatching it. It's not candy from babies, okay? They are going up to a grown-ass man. Like, I don't know. Who's somebody strong I can think of? I don't know. Captain America. They're going up to him, and they're taking his shield, and then hitting him with it, and walking away. That's America's okay. ass. They should not do that to him. Well, they didn't give a fuck. 
they were like, I'm going to go grow cotton on your ass. <laughs> I don't think that's a good place to grow cotton. You know, it's going to be premier cotton. That's cool. how they make Mikey's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Maybe I'll cut that part out. I doubt it, though. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway... Several states passed laws limiting Native American sovereignty and rights and encroaching on their territory, on their own land, the land of their ancestors. The white people are stealing shit that is not theirs. WTF Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. With that, what really pisses me off there is like the disingenuineness of of these all these laws like just say you're racist just say (laughs) you don't like them and you don't want them to have what they have just say it like at least then i know that you hate me right like if i'm a native at least i know that you hate me but you are you are covering it up in all of this like law and it's the caucasity of it all the caucasity of it all. Another good episode title. <laughs> I already used that one on the How Hawaii Became a State. I mean, it's been a bad look for America this month. <laughs> America is a bad look. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, indeed. So, okay. Next, we have a Supreme Court case. It's Worcester versus Georgia, 1832. The Supreme Court objected to the practices and affirmed that Native nations were sovereign nations in which the laws of Georgia and other states can have no force. Even so, the maltreatment continued. (laughs) Worcester versus Georgia was a landmark case of the Supreme Court, although it did not prevent what would come. Um... The decision was often used to craft subsequent law in the U.S. It's still like a big important decision, even though it's 1832. So, are you ready to talk about the biggest shithole present we've ever had and you thought it was bumpity trumpity? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, man. I am so not pleased to pop that bubble. And as Rachel Hip Flores said on a previous episode, she had to reference the musical... Bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson. This man is a crime against humanity. Or as Dolly Parton said in Steel Magnolia, a boil on the butt of humanity. Okay? (laughs) And I need to remind you that he is still on the $20 bill. We could have had Harriet Tubman, but no, we have this piece of shit on the $20 bill. He is... Horrible. Let me give you a quick summary of why he sucks. Hold on, let me take a shot. Okay. Okay. Strapped in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, tray table up and all that? Okay. (laughs) He was called Old Hickory, but it's more like a fucking dickery, am I right? (laughs) He has an entire section on his Wikipedia page dedicated to his tantrums. Yeah, so it's called temperament on Wikipedia, but it was his fucking tantrums. And that's pathetic. So 7 and 45, yes, he was the 7th president, and 45 have so much in common, except 
seven tenuous bone spurs to get out of the Revolutionary War. <laughs> he was real big on killing people. Oh, yeah, he wanted to go, like, shoot as many as possible. Yeah, he killed a man for insulting his wife once. And, like, come on. Like, chill that's the fuck more out, than, dude. That's more than um, Ted Cruz did. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was funny. <laughs> um, so, you remember that war that happened in, like, 1812? It was um, the War of 1812, right? Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We got it. <laughs> Nailed that. So... The Red Sticks faction of the Creek Nation, they're allies of the Spanish and the British, and they really wanted to stop the expansion of the U.S. territory. I wonder why. So at the time, the general loser, Andrew Jackson, naturally bumbled through this and took more than 500 women and children prisoner because that's what fair war sounds like. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And he forced representatives of the entire Creek Nation to sign the Treaty of Fort Jackson, which ceded more than 23 million acres of Creek territory to the U.S. Wow. Such brave. Like, wow. Amazing. What a good guy. So, Andrew Jackson, he had two regrets. Are you ready? That he did not shoot Henry Clay Jack or Henry Clay, who was a U.S. Senator, or hang John C. Calhoun, which his, was his vice president who quit midterm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. This fucker's on the $20 bill, dudes. Like, not Harriet Tubman. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be over this. I'm not. So, as a idiot in charge, Andrew Jackson noted in 1832, if no one intended to enforce the Supreme Court's rulings, and he certainly wasn't going to, then the, the decision would fall stillborn. So southern states were determined to take ownership of Indian lands, this is how it's phrased, and it would go to great lengths to secure the territory. And however, quote, Indian removal, end quote, took place in the northern states as well. So Illinois and Wisconsin, you two fucked up too. Oh no. For example, the bloody Black Hawk War. Black Hawk was a person. Um, read about this war. It, I couldn't sum it up. It was just sad. In 1832, opened to white settle, uh, settlement millions of acres of land that had once belonged to the Sac, Fox, and other Native nations. If you listened last week, Jim Thorpe was of the Fox and Sac tribes, but from Oklahoma. So... Now we get to uh, my least favorite part of the story. This is the Indian Removal Act. So Andrew Jackson had been an advocate of what he called Indian removal, a.k.a. he was a fucking racist. Just so as an army general. Just say it, dude. Say you're a racist. Well, they didn't have that word. He was a white supremacist. He was an equal opportunity, I hate anyone of color. Yeah. Like, he was so pro-slavery, it was not even funny. So, anyway. Yeah. I know. He's, he is a disgusting piece of trash. Anyway. As an army general, he spent years leading brutal campaigns against the Creeks 
in Georgia and Alabama and the Seminoles in Florida, campaigns that resulted in the transfer of hundreds of thousands of acres of land from uh, Indian nations to white farmers. As president, he was like, you know what? We're going to continue this crusade bordering on genocide. Yeah. And you're like, all right, no. But unfortunately, yes. In 1830, he signed the Indian Removal Act, which gave the federal government the power to exchange native-held lands in the Cotton Kingdom, east of the Mississippi, for land to the west in the Indian colonization zone that the United States had acquired as part of the Louisiana Purchase. So that area, now known as present-day Oklahoma. Wait, so did that not go against the whole sovereignty thing? Totally did. Ruled? Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. But they don't just give. They just don't give a fuck. Well, what's the Supreme Court gonna do? Wave their robes at them? <laughs> Maybe their wigs. <laughs> For Christmas, will you get me a wig? Um, I'll get you a whole getup, like one of those. I British want it. I'll do my makeup like one of the buzzards. <laughs> What's that from? Is it Alice in Wonderland? Oh. I'll do a whole episode live. <laughs> Just me as a Supreme Court judge. No reason. With a gavel. <laughs> I have a gavel! Of course you do. I won Model UN once, and now I have I, a gavel. I just recently got a gavel. Don't ask. They're so important. <laughs> You don't understand how important it is to have a gavel until you don't. Well, until you I, do, and then. I think I'm going to use uh, the gavel on my next Zoom call when people are just talking over each other. Order oh. in the Zoom. Order in the Zoom. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. You can be like, shut up, Elizabeth. <laughs> um, well, speaking of. The law required, this was the worst segue, the law required the government to negotiate removal treaties fairly, voluntarily, and peacefully. It did not permit the president or anyone else to coerce Native nations into giving up their land. What do you think happened? Um, I think, um, you know, they did. Oh, you are correct. <laughs> President Jackson and his government cronies frequently ignored the letter of the law and forced Native Americans to vacate their lands that they had lived on for generations. Not only did this contradict the ruling of the Supreme Court, but also not shocking considering their heinous acts already have been committed up to this point. What a surprise. I did not see that coming. I didn't see it coming either. <laughs> okay, so in the winter of 1831, under the threat of the invasion by the U.S. Army, let's just, in the winter of 1831, under the threat of invasion by the U.S. Army, the Choctaw <laughs> became the first nation to be expelled from their land altogether. They made the journey to, quote, Indian Territory on foot. Oh, my God. My, I'm sorry. My dog just scared the shit out of me. Yeah. She started touching my leg, and I was like, is that a spider? It's Andrew Jackson's start... ghost. He doesn't want you to be talking shit about him. Well, guess what, Andrew Jackson's ghost? You're about to eat some shit. 
<laughs> so I'm starting over. This is a very important paragraph. In 1831, under the threat of invasion by the U.S. Army, the Choctaw became the first nation to be expelled from their land altogether. They made the journey to Indian Territory on foot, some bound in chains and marched double file, one historian wrote, and without any food, supplies, or other help from the government. Thousands of people died along the way. It was, one Choctaw leader told an Alabama newspaper, a trail of tears and death. The Creek also finalized a removal agreement in 1832. However, Euro-American settlers and speculators came and moved into the planned Creek sessions prematurely, causing conflict, delays, and fraudulent land sales that delayed the Creek journey until 1836. In 1832, a small group of Seminole leaders also negotiated a removal agreement but the majority of the tribe protested that the signatories had no authority to represent them. The United States insisted that the agreement should hold, instigating such fierce resistance to removal that ensuring that ensuing conflict became known as the Second Seminole War, 1835 to 42. Although many were eventually captured and removed to the West, I hate that captured is the word that we would use for a human being. I hate it. Um, basically just kidnapped. That's yeah. Kidnapped. Command F kidnapped. Yeah. Um, a substantial number of Seminole people managed to elude the authorities and remain in Florida. So the next would be the, quote, Indian removal process continued in 1836. The federal government drove the Creeks from their land for the last time. 3,500, roughly around there, of the 15,000 Creeks who set out for Oklahoma did not survive the trip. So the Cherokee people were divided on what was the best way to handle the U.S. government, trying to get its hands on their territory. Some wanted to stay and fight, and others thought it more pragmatic to agree to leave in exchange for money and other concessions. In 1835, a few self-appointed representatives of the Cherokee Nation negotiated the Treaty of New Echota, which traded all Cherokee land east of the Mississippi for $5 million. I'm not going to give you what that is in today's money because it's not fucking enough. It's not. Uh, relocation assistance and compensation for lost property. Still not enough. <laughs> to the federal government, the treaty was a done deal, but many Cherokee felt betrayed as the negotiators did not represent the tribal government or anybody else. The, the instrument in question is not the act of our nation, wrote the nation's principal chief, John Ross, in a letter to the U.S. Senate protesting the treaty. We are not parties to its covenants. It ha has not received the sanction of our people. Nearly 16,000 Cherokees signed Ross's petition, but Congress approved the treaty anyway. 
1838, only about 2,000 Cherokee had left their um, Georgia homeland for Indian Territory. So now we have President Martin Van Buren, and he sent General Winfield Scott and 7,000 soldiers to expedite this removal process. First, I want to punch them both. But who wait, in the wait, cinnamon wait. toast fuck? Oh, yes. And who in that the is... cinnamon toast fuck is Martin Van Buren? Yeah, you guessed it. He won the 1836 presidential election with the endorsement of popular outgoing president, Andrew Jackson, yeah. and the organizational strength of the Democratic Party. Ooh. But wait a second. That doesn't sound like the Democratic Party we know, right? Like, I mean... That's not, the kind of, that's not the kind of shit we do. And you have to be correct in thinking that. Because... During the 1860s, Republicans who dominated the northern states orchestrated an extreme expansion of federal power, helped, helping to fund trans, the Transcontinental Railroad, the state university system, and the settlement of the West by homesteaders, ew, and installing a national currency and protective tariff. Um... And then the Democrats, who dominated the South, they opposed all that. But after the Civil War, Republicans passed laws that granted uh, protections for black Americans and social justice. And again, Democrats largely opposed all of these expansions of federal power, too. But, like, what the fuck? So we're going to Bill and Ted and fast forward <laughs> to 1936. Okay? <laughs> so we have... Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt, who won re-election that year on the strength of the New Deal, plus depression remedying, remedying reforms as, such as regulating financial institutions, the initial founding of welfare and pension programs, infrastructure development, and more, aka socialism. Roosevelt won in a landslide against Republican Alf Landon who opposed these excises ex yes, of federal power. So, sometime between the 1860s and 1936, the Democratic Party of small government became the party of big government, and the Republican Party of big government became the rhetorically committed to curbing federal power. And that might seem wild. But when we talk about pre-Democrat pre-Civil War, like bloody bloody Andrew Jackson, and even your boy Abraham Lincoln, you have to take their politics into consideration. Because hell, even Abraham Lincoln wasn't that great of a person. In 1862, he approved one of the ma largest mass executions in U.S. history of 38 Dakota men. 4,000 people came to watch as these men were hung, and then their bodies were used as cadavers. So the great emancipator, my ass. He signed a piece of paper, had little follow through, and that's like a totally different episode. And still 250 plus years later, we're out in the street begging for police to not shoot human beings when they're innocent. Even if they're guilty, it doesn't matter. Stop shooting people. Yeah, so anyway. police aren't supposed to shoot um, bad guys, like, dead either. They're just, yeah. 
it's, it's, oh, it's ridiculous. Anyway, back to Marty VB, who's sending Winnie Scott in. All right. Scott and his troops. Yeah, they're expediting that process. So Scotty and his troops, they forced the Cherokee into stockades at Bayonet Point while white people looted their homes and belongings. And then they marched the Native Americans more than 1,200 miles, 1,200 miles to Indian Territory. Holy fucking shit. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. cough, typhus, dysentery, cholera, and starvation were epidemic along the way, and historians estimate that more than 5,000 Cherokee died as a result of the journey. How many? Estimates, but 5,000 just Cherokee. Estimates based on tribal and military records suggest that approximately 100,000 to 125,000 indigenous people were forced from their homes during this period, which is sometimes known as the removal era, and that some 15,000 died during the journey west. By 1840, tens of thousands of Native Americans had been driven off of their land in the southeastern states and forced to move across the Mississippi. The federal government promised that their new land would remain unmolested forever. But as white people do, the line of white settlement pushed westward and Indian country shrank and shrank. And in 1907, Oklahoma became a state and Indian territory was gone for good. So in less than 100 years, the United States of America decimated the indigenous populations, lands, and treaties they signed. So how could anyone take this country at its word from that point forward? How could anyone believe what we said? I, it's just a lie after lie. Yeah, it boggles me that anyone wanted to do business with us. Like, it just... Ugh. So, the Trail of Tears today. Because I'm going to get angry. The Trail of Tears is over 5,043 miles long, and it covers nine states. Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. And it's run by the National Park Service, and portions of it are accessible on foot, by horse, by bicycle, or by car. And as I mentioned earlier, my parents live really close to the markers, um, but I spent a lot of years in Arkansas. And so very well aware of where that the trail is. And it's disappointing that people do not know the honest-to-God true story. But they're I mean, willing to say, my grandmother was a Cherokee princess. But you don't know what's happened to the Cherokee. Like, ugh. 
it it's it's so again the thing that just keeps getting me is just the 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 lies and just the attempts to make it seem like they are so civilized and they are so much better and they are so you know it is it is our destiny and stuff and it's like dude you just you just want to steal and you want to make it okay for yourself and the vast majority of these white people i'm pretty sure were were christian and mm-hmm. that's one of your there's literally 10 commandments are the there's only 10 commandments you need to follow and you can't be bothered to nope they cannot buy cheat and steal is all on there so and murder top, oh murder murder indeed <laughs> To top off that story, let's talk about the reservations and basically the state of things. My data is a little bit older. It comes from the Center for Native American Youth at Aspen Institute. It's a few years old and obviously um, it's going to be intensely worse right now because of the pandemic. And so this month I've done, I've spent time on Native Hawaiians, I've spent time on missing and murdered indigenous women, and throughout the episode last week about um, our 15 badass Native American heroes, we spent time on different tribes and their um, statistical things going on depending on which hero and what they did but right now I would like to focus on what we're looking at as a whole and really what are we up against because this is a unique problem I would say for the United States we refuse to face it head-on we just choose to ignore it we do not teach our history as it is we teach it as we would like it to be And that is not okay. We have to face these things with truth. And I'd never want to hear someone be so, I guess, like, I don't want parents saying, well, my child's too young to know this. Well, guess what? There are Native American children who live this life every single day that until everyone has the same security and opportunity we have to we have to teach the truth and once we do have the same security and opportunity we continue to teach the truth so we don't regress mm-hmm. so we're going to jump into these statistics and actually so, just real quick there is a mm-hmm. way to to teach this stuff to children in an age-appropriate manner, without without sugarcoating it, I, I think I think kids understand far more than um, you know Karen in Bumfunk Idaho thinks her children understand. They understand absolutely way more than than colors and shapes. Like they are, kids are smart and kids are are constantly looking for for fairness in Absolutely. in their lives as they grow up and and if you 
if you just explain to them how this was not fair to the native people, they they will understand that just way better. And then they will not have to go through life thinking the only thing that's fair, the only thing that matters to be fair is themselves and, and what they want. Right. And there's certain aspects to this type of story or this type of the way that they teach it in school now. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I read a textbook that's for a child that said the Native Americans gave the land and I wanted I want to set it on fire. Because gave? that's not true. Literally said gave? Gave. Ugh. See, even little words like that it's color how that's you, how, how you view it. Yeah, that's how you come with these misconceptions. And there is a serious problem in American history these days. Like, they don't have the opportunity to know what, to know the truth. And you can't know what you don't know. And I know that sounds so simple, but that's like the Occam's razor here. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. a child can't know what they don't know. And if you don't teach them our ugly past and if we stop building these stupid statues to losers and to horrible people what like but you know the only thing we can do is move forward you know mm-hmm. so let's jump into these statistics and we can stop and talk any any of them that you want to know but I will say these are going to be heavy. Okay, so there are currently 573 federally recognized tribes in the United States. As of 2010, there were over 2.1 million Native American and Alaskan Natives under the age of 24 in the U.S. So I'm just going to say Native American or Native, and it's going to regard Native American and Alaskan Natives. Because um, Alaskans are American at this time. So, Native youth are arrested at a rate of three times the national average. And suicide is the second leading cause of death. 2.5 times the national rate for youth in the 15 to 24 age range. In the U.S., between 1 in 9 and 1 in 5 reporting uh, report um attempting suicide each year. Historical trauma, underfunded federal programs, and other policies in the U.S. government have led to Native Americans experiencing many health, educational, and economic disparities compared to the general population. The rate of poverty among Native Americans in 2014 was 28.8% and more than one in three children live in poverty. It is beyond imagination to think of where they are now in this pandemic. In 2012, the average native household income was reported at 37,353, but the national average was 56,565. In 2014, Unemployment rates for Native Americans stood nationally at 11.3%, twice the average for white Americans, 
and that's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Some tribal communities report persistent rates of unemployment above 80%. And I can't, like, I can't begin to fathom where it stands currently in this pandemic. This is horrible. Native communities may be hit the hardest by this pandemic and it will most likely fly underneath the radar of every single major news outlet. And I will happily push the blame on the Big Orange because all of his antics take up the, like, the airtime for things that really do matter, like the suffering of the Native community and what you can do to help. Um, as of 2003, approximately 7.5% of homes in what was known as Indian country lacked safe drinking water and proper waste removal systems. And to put that in perspective, if it's 1,000 homes, that's 75 homes. And if that's 10,000 homes, that's 750 homes. That's a lot. A lot of people. Uh, it's a lot. And, like, you know, in Flint, Michigan... We kept that in our hearts. We kept that in our heads. The fact that I can recall it right now. We should get this to that level. Uh -huh. This is not okay. In 2013, chronic liver disease was the fifth leading cause of death for all. And in Native adults are 2.4 times likely as white adults to be diagnosed with diabetes. In 2012, the tuberculosis rate was 6.3 as compared to 0 0.8 for white population. And according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Office of Minority Health, it estimated that in 2016, 22% of Native Americans um, lived on reservations and then, the, or other U.S. census-defined tribal areas, while 60% lived on, in metropolitan areas. And that makes sense because their unemployment rates were outrageous. Uh -huh. uh, according to the 2010 U.S. census, which was the last one to have happened, except for this year, um, Approximately 5.2 million self-identified Native Americans live in the U.S., and 2 million qualify for federal services. So there's also, quote, Indian Health Services. I don't know why it's still called Indian, but that's a, it's the de Department of Indian Affairs still. Like, it's not that hard. But So members of the 573 federally recognized tribes and their descendants are eligible for services provided by IHS. And it's an agency within the Department of Health and Human Services, and it provides comprehensive health service delivery system for approximately 2.56 million of the nation's estimated 5.2 million. Um, the IHS strives for, uh, I, I say strives, apparently strives for maximum tribal involvement in meeting health needs, but 
It's for mostly those who mainly live on or near reservations in rural communities, mostly in the West U.S. and Alaska. Um, so Native Americans born today have a life expectancy that is 5.5 years less than all other races, like wow. all other across the U.S. population. And they continue to die at a higher rate than all of their Americans in many categories, including chronic liver disease and cirrhosis, diabetes, mellitus, unintentional in injury, assault, homicide, intentional self-harm and suicide, and lower chronic respiratory system. So those are my statistics. Do you have any thoughts on those? I, I don't know if I have thoughts, but I have a ton of emotions about that. That is just, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, they were here. They were here. This was theirs. And mm -hmm. while we benefit from what, what has been built on that land, it, you know, I, I don't know how how we don't all feel guilty every day for what these people were forced to go through. Um, it, you know, we, I, you almost have to like block it out just so you can like keep going and, and keep having um, mm -hmm. any amount of, of uh, pride in this country. Um, honestly, that's why these days I honestly can't. Through this entire administration, I haven't been able to yeah. because the amount of people that I see who have no respect or I guess it's like they have no respect is the best word I can come with for the value of human life. <laughs> I can't I can't get behind that. Like if you value money over a human's life, I'm not I'm not with you. If you value your stuff over a human's life, I'm not with you. Like, if you think that a guy who stole a purse deserved li deserves life in prison, not with you on that. Yeah. Like, there's probably a reason he stole that purse, and it's I've got I've got a ten thousand theories. Like, yeah. I I see these things and I research these crimes, and I'm just really the victim is you know, but. Yeah, and there are there are people who are just like so concerned with um, with you know our economic status, with our with our wealth as a nation, and they are people who who vote and and become certain parties because they want to ensure that they have money, they have homes, they have things when in my eyes what I always kind of vote for and and vote with in mind is just like how are we making people's lives better how can this person what what have they promised to to people to help people it's kind of like that argument mm -hmm. of like of like we're not saying defund the police because we don't want our streets to be safe we're saying defund the police and give that money to to organizations and people that can address the root of these problems and not spread, just the yeah. symptoms. Spread the burden. Yeah, and, and to if you know if we can if we can 
figure out ways to help people as people rather than people as commodities or or mm-hmm. part of the workforce. I think I just really know in my heart that would be we'd be so much better. I a hundred percent agree with you. Like I have spent a lot of time like reflecting on what really like what's been going on in the city and what I support in becoming more vocal about it because though I've been vocal like literally I've not been as vocal until this year online for fear of like I know and I'm related to people who don't think the same as me and now I don't care if Mm -hmm. I hurt your feelings because I know that at my core of my beliefs is that I value human life over everything else. Yeah. And I feel like that is the right North star. And Mm -hmm. so looking at this story, the fact that human life, we have failed this community time and time and time and time again. And I have to say we, I mean, you and I aren't that old, but (laughs) All I can do right now, like, I don't have the money to give. I barely have the money for myself, especially in this pandemic. But the theme this month has been to talk about these issues. And so we talked about the the trail of tears and gave the honest synopsis. Mm -hmm. And um, we just you know, the major players and how Native Americans across the board are essentially set up for failure. And it's not okay, but it's not something that we have to keep living with. And if we bring this issue to the loudness of things like Black Lives Matters or um, LGBT rights or something like that. Um, we can make that kind of change because it's such a deeply systemic issue. Because just like with Black Lives Matter, it goes to the core of our country that. There is such discrimination against Native American communities and people and people thinking that they're beneath every other human and unacceptable from this, like, well, from any point forward. But really, you have no excuse. Like, it is 2020. There's no excuse. And but it doesn't mean like you can't do something about it. Because it's so simple. You just talk and you just spread the word and you don't allow people to suffer in silence because silence is the tool of that oppressor and it keeps the victims pushed down. And so right now in this pandemic, we don't have the money to donate to the causes that can do more, but we can be really great allies and powerful ones that speak up and get loud and talk to our friends who can speak up and get loud and they spread it to their networks and so on and so forth. And I know it's a quiet, silly way, but 
that's what we can do with what we have. Yeah, and especially, especially you know, during during um, a holiday like Thanksgiving that has been so so lied and twisted about, you know, it's a horrible, it, horrible I, thing. I always say like the the greatest con conservatives ever um, pulled on us is convincing us that talking about these issues at like the dinner table is rude uh, yep. or, 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 you know, bringing them up in, in other times of like, supposedly like you're supposed to be like prim and proper or whatever. Like, fuck that. Like if we, yeah. if we talked about things more, if we shed light on these things, if we heard like what, what you did tonight about the trail of tears more and we spoke about that more and we tried to understand it, more and weren't worried about being rude or or controversial or or inciting like it we would be able to figure this out there would be more awareness to it there would be more people who would say that's fucked up we have to find a way to change that Mm -hmm. um and we you're right we can't do it in silence yeah it's very many, there are many, <laughs> there are very many causes that came up just from breaking the silence. And it's so, in a way, it's something that a lot of people that I follow, I actually retweeted Vince Schilling's um, TikTok regarding like the truth about Thanksgiving. Please go watch it, guys. It's great. Um, he does amazing uh, videos and such that are incredibly informative uh, regarding like the truth about Pocahontas and stuff like that. And I didn't want to cover that story because he did so much better than I could, (laughs) (laughs) but um, there are native journalists and native politicians and native, um, people who are making these differences. And I think it's time that everyone else step up and help because I feel like it's not their burden alone to bear. Like you can't keep punching at a wall and hoping it makes a difference. You know, somebody has got to, you know, come and help you. And I don't think it's fair that, you know, all of America essentially has been putting these walls up continuously around and there's no way out. I think it's time that the people who created the problem fix the problem. Yep. Yep. And I think, you know, people our age and a step older, we are the ones who are pushing for these things and we're already making headway on certain agendas and it's it's time to make sure that we don't leave anyone behind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just because they're not loud enough so if i can give you a takeaway it would be get loud please share what you can you can give your words if you can't give your money you can give your time and you can share what you learn Um, if you feel like 2020 
has made you feel like you haven't gotten anything done, here's a cause to get behind. Tell everyone you know. Tell everyone you don't know and say, share it. Let's get moving. Let's do all this. Share this episode. I'd love that. Please give me a rating. <laughs> It'd be fun. Absolutely. But also, I understand if you want to share in your own words. We're just here to build each other up. So, yeah. Quick side note, I'm going to give you my uh, delightful citations. I use the BBC.com. I use History.com. Britannica.com. Um, Indian Country News.com, uh, CNAV.org, IHS.gov. It was delightful. It was a lot of fun websites, too. I say fun. No, it's not fun. So this week, I kind of wanted to do something a little different here at the end because we just talked about so many heavy items. I kind of wanted to do a three-question in and out. But like silly questions. Yeah. So, okay. So here's my first silly question. I asked this to Kelly on the other episode of our podcast, but I think it's a funny question. So what is a childhood fear that you still are kind of scared of? And it's irrational. That's a good one. Um, let me think. That's irrational. Um, it could have a little bit of rationality in it, but like. You got scared of it for some reason one day, and then it stuck with you. You still do it. Well, I mean, honestly, and I've seen people talk about this before, but I really, really, really thought um, quicksand was going to be a bigger issue (laughs) in my life. I made a t-shirt about that. (laughs) Like, like, the John Mulaney quote, I put it on a t-shirt. But, like, it's so true. It's like... Like to this day, at the beach, or like, you know, God forbid, we're like driving uh, to Vegas or something, um, <laughs> and there's just like sand and, and dirt and dust all around you. And I'm just constantly thinking, okay, how is like, how is quicksand going to happen? How is a sinkhole just going to appear? Because those things just happen. And I'm, I don't know, if, I'm certainly not smart enough to understand how they just happen, but they just like happen. They like, just happen. Also, also, I'll add um, sharks in the pool. I know it's impossible. It's not impossible. Well, I mean, unless you place a shark in the pool. <laughs> I mean, it's like a hurricane in Florida happened. <laughs> but if I if I am swimming underwater and I like you know can't quite see everything, I'm pretty sure that shadow is a shark, and I will swim right back to the surface just to make sure. (laughs) So side note regarding your quicksand, I was on this shoot in Joshua tree. And so we're standing out in the desert and like, we're about to roll. And I don't know what possessed me to say this, but I was like, you know, it'd be real sick right now. If one of those tumor or tremors things came out of the sand and like everyone stopped and stared at me. (laughs) <laughs> and the director was like a really close friend of mine and he just walked away and went and sat on top of the car. <laughs> yeah, what if what if? Just like But my irrational fear is 
I'm terrified of bathroom drains. And I know it's stupid, but, like, if I turn my back on it, it's going to, like, I don't know, have a knife in its hand. I don't know. But also, I have to look behind the shower curtain before I pee. All the time. All the time. Like, Is that irrational? I don't know what's back there. But see, that, that one's rooted in rationality. I think that's perfectly rational. Especially yeah. when you hear a noise and you're the only one in the apartment. Oh, definitely. Thankfully, now I have, like, a clear, well, semi-clear glass door. So I don't have to, like, check, check. But, like, if there's any sort of color in there, I'm like, who did? <laughs> Honestly, doors, <laughs> doors are the way to go. Curtains are gross, and they can have murderers behind them. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of with you. All right, do you have a random silly question? Um, a random silly question. Oh, I love this one. And I don't know how silly it is, but what is your favorite Citrus. Citrus? Yes. Like a fruit? Yes. So I'm heinously allergic to pineapple. Don't know if I used that word correctly, but that's how I feel about it. I am super allergic to pineapple, so not that one. Um, citrus. That's like lemon, lime, and orange, right? And like grapefruit. And I'll, I'll oh, even accept any like other type of orange. Oh, I really like mandarin oranges. <gasps> Wait, no, I'm taking it back. Tangerine. Tangerines. Yeah, tangerine's pretty dope. All right, what's yours? Uh, limes. I think limes are so uh, useful. Limes are useful. Good. And they're like, they're like kind of a middle ground, I feel, like between an orange and a lime or a lemon. Like, you can still eat it and your face won't just like collapse. That's fair. Because, yeah. like, okay, but I drank a bad lime-flavored drink in college, and now, like, I hate everything that's lime-flavored. Oh, no. But it also... But have you ever done that, though? Food. Oh, well, no, that's fine. When it's, like, a flavoring, like, a, like you know, like, in the food. But, like, yeah. if it's, like, very lime, like, I don't know, like, a lime-flavored LaCroix, I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so here's my last one, and then we'll sign out. If you were sick, what is, like, the number one thing that will always make you feel better no matter what? Like, stomach sick, headache, anything, besides medication. <laughs> besides... I say food or drink. Um, hmm. Does it have to be food or drink? Yes. Interesting. Okay. But then you can tell me what your other thing was. Okay. Any sort of Campbell's chunky soup. Interesting. I, whenever I got sick as a kid, that is what I would eat. And I don't know if it's just like in my head. Like, no, it totally know, makes sense. Like it would just make me feel better to this day. It would still make, and I'm not a big soup person in general. Yeah. Like, like I, I don't think, hey, what's for dinner tonight? Soup. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, having, having some soup um, when I'm sick, it's really what, what helps. I think the, uh, the one that I got when I was a kid was like the Campbell's, but like the original chicken noodle soup, you know, which one I'm talking about with like the thin Justin Timberlake hair type noodles. <laughs> yeah. It's still good. It's still good. Yeah. But the one thing that will always make me feel better, no matter what is ginger ale. 
It's oh, got to yeah. be Canada Dry. Yes. Yeah, that's that's my number one like go to. If I'm feeling bad, sometimes it even helps my emotions. Oh, interesting. Like it's, it could be my life coach. That's <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Um, but what was the other thing you were going to say if it wasn't a food? Um, I, I read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes books uh, when I was like, I had all the like paperbacks, um, of like the collections when I was a kid. And when I, you know, when you're, when you're sick, if you have a headache, you can't, um, you can't like stay home and just watch TV because that blue light will just give me an even bigger headache. Um, so oh, I would totally. just read read my Calvin and Hobbes books, and those coupled with the soup are like a perfect combination to make me feel so much better. Oh, I wonder, like, because if I was sick with a headache, then I would have to sleep because I get intense headaches. Like, so if I was sick with something else, I think my go-to TV show is SpongeBob. <laughs> that's a good, one. That's a good I, one I think it's because it's like one of those shows that I don't have to pay attention to but like if I tune in somewhere I can just chuckle you know it's also, for me if it had to be like a cartoon it'd be like Scooby Doo because it's like oh, you can feel yes. smart you can feel like you're accomplishing something by guessing like which old man Jenkins was behind it all <laughs> like that oh really my god yes lifts up my spirit if, if it doesn't you know actually make me feel better so maybe we should prescribe, since we had a hard episode, some Scooby-Doo or Spongebob for our listeners to bring the mood up a little. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, hmm. It has to be the original like, Scooby. Yeah. Or the live action movie, because that was fantastic. And <laughs> yeah. uh, some scrappy shows up. I mean, you've got to love-hate that. <laughs> I definitely love-hate that. Um, but yeah, this this has been another episode of Let's Talk About the Facts. And those facts were thoroughly discussed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and thank you so thoroughly... much for being here, Nick. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was very informative. I'm I'm very happy to, to have this sort of remedial class on something that I should <laughs> I should have known about way, way before before. Is today. it like remedial I, if if you never got it the first time? I mean yeah, that's true. That's no. fair. <laughs> this is fair advanced history. <laughs> You'll have to join me for another like paranormal episode. Ooh yeah, I love spooky things. Maybe with Vaughn when he freaks out. <laughs> love it he's delightful <laughs> but i love how scared he gets <laughs> but okay this is it we did it we made it through this episode without crying i well maybe well, um blood boiling but no, no tears ironically enough yeah there's a lot of sniffs um but yeah i am elizabeth fury i don't think i introduced myself at the beginning but you all know me by now <laughs> and this was Nick. Welcome yeah. to Nick. He's in the friend family, the fact friend family, as are you guys, the listeners. So please like and subscribe. Leave a review, maybe some stars. That'd be great. 
And also, on our outro, how to get a hold of us. And you two can leave me a weird DM and maybe I'll read it out <laughs> in another episode. So, uh, yeah. Well, peace out. Bye. Have a good night, Nate. Yeah, of course. Good night, little fellow listeners. Bye-bye. This podcast was surprisingly produced by me. Original music by Miranda Miller. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram at TalkAboutFacts. That's T-A-L-K-A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S. Or email recommendations to ltatfpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe out there, friends.